0: You know, the last couple of weeks I've talked to you about uh, a different, slightly different way to, to make the transition from your ordinary, busy, jumping around everywhere in mind that you live with every day to, <laughs> to becoming focused on a medication object and, and settling down. And I've, I've kind of taken the next next step out in the front. You'll find something that I wrote up that's called an invitation to participate in an experiment in mindfulness. And so, uh, if you're interested, pick up a copy of this. There's also some more copies of the state the ten stages of meditation for any of you that haven't already gotten one, so that you you know can use it as as a reference. But what? What I did is I wrote out in detail what I have in mind. This transition by several phases, and I I think that it's really most appropriate to people who still experience a lot of uh, forgetting what they're doing and periods of mind wandering. So you start thinking about something, you forget your meditation object, and then you know your mind takes a little world cruise. Stops off in several countries and on the way, and, mm-hmm. and finally come back and say, "Oh, <coughs> yes, <laughs> ten mm-hmm. minutes is fast." <laughs> so, <clears throat> if you still have a lot of uh, forgetting and mind wandering, then this is especially for you, because that's who I'm hoping it will be most helpful for. But also, if you are already at the place where you rarely, entirely forget the meditation object, but uh, you still uh, you still can't always keep it at the center of your attention. You might also try this, although it would be something that you probably go through more quickly at the beginning of each sip, but you still might find that just by approaching it in this way, uh, you you sort of make that transition from a mind that's jumping around to one that's stable really more easy. anyway, there's a couple of questionnaires on the back of it uh, which, oh, I see the photocopying people very cleverly messed up on there oh well <laughs> <laughs> the idea was that they would both be on separate pages so what they managed to do was put a blank page between them <laughs> Anyway, the idea is here. The two questionnaires are both on the same sheet of paper now, which is all right. But if you're willing to try this out, just fill out the first one and answer those questions before you start. And then, at least three weeks later, maybe longer, depending on the instructions are here, answer the questions on the second questionnaire. And then, if you could get it to me, one way or another, so that I can just get some really, uh, you know, some real feedback on whether this is something that is effective and uh, worth pursuing further with more people, okay? So <clears throat> so especially if you're in that category of people who would uh, think that you could use some something to assist you in more civility in your practice, have a look at this, okay? And, uh, and um, of course, your your answers are entirely anonymous. It's not that not that I'm sure you're worried about me knowing what the quality of the meditation experience is. But listen, your, your answers will be anol- anonymous, and it's just it's a before and after comparison, just to see get us a, a rough idea of, of what kind of effect this has. Okay. Any questions about that? All right. So then, if you if you'll have a look at it on the break before you go and see if it's something that's so suitable for you or not, that's great. All right. Do we have anything else to that anyone would like to talk about? No. <coughs> okay. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I've been wondering lately about um, the second factor of enlightenment, the investigation of ma- mental objects. Exactly what is meant by that? What did the Buddha mean, and how does one go about that? Investigation of mental objects. Of mental objects, right? Yeah, which is translated that way and other ways, probably of dhammas of. Right. Know, but it's yeah. investigation. <clears throat> Certainly. Well, the, the word that's used in Pali is dhamma. And uh, Pali was a spoken language before it became a written language several hundred years later. And so capitalization has no real significance. But in modern times, where we are much more used to writing, there has been the convention to use the word Dhamma or or Dharma is the equivalent of it uh, in a capitalized version and an uncapitalized version to distinguish between them. Um, The word Dhamma means uh, it means a mental object it means an experience uh, it means it, it refers to the stuff of which our conscious existence consists, of the, of the uh, mental objects that uh, arise and pass away. And so, uh, with a small d, you, your life consists of a sequence of dhammas arising and passing away. And each one is a, an experience. Each one is, uh, at least in terms of how we're referring to it when we use that word, dhamma, is mental in nature. It's a conscious experience. It's not an unconscious experience like something that happens inside your body or something like that. It's something that you're conscious of. And and so uh, your existence consists of a series of these dhammas arising and passing away. Okay, Um, But the other meanings that it has, it means... uh, it means reality, uh, and of course, what I just said—that is your reality, right? That sequence of dhammas. So dhamma means reality. Reality. Um, it. The, when you understand the true nature of reality, then it's dhamma with a capital D. You know, the way things really are, rather than. Small D Dhamma that, that is describing the continuous unfolding of phenomena, when you understand the way things are, they truly are, it's capitalized. So, in that sense, it also means and is sometimes translated as truth. And then, of course, it also means doctrine and teaching that uh, lead to the understanding of truth. Now, to Uh, The investigation of dhammas is to investigate the small d dhammas in such a way that you arrive at a capital D uh, realization of the true nature of reality. Um, It means mental objects because it is crucial in that investigation that you come to the point of accepting that all of your experience is uh, consists of mental objects that actually arise in the mind, uh, and not in the sense that we're denying that anything outside the mind exists, because we're not, and nor are we saying the only thing that's real is the mind, because that absolutely is not what we're saying, but we're saying that all we're recognizing, acknowledging that all we can ever experience as reality uh, is what arises in our mind. So reality is mind created. And so the investigation of dhammas is the investigation of phenomenal experience with with that recognition and anything that you can do to Uncover that, disclose that in a deeper, uh, more profound way. Because as you do so, it will lead you to uh, uh, have a more ultimate kind of realization. So, the investigation of Dhammas is basically the process of realizing emptiness. All of the objects of your experience, including your own sense of self, But the world you live in and the person you think you are are all mind-created objects. They're all dhammas. And so you want to investigate them. You want to investigate the world you live in and the experiences it gives rise to and yourself until until you can experience this directly, until you can realize the emptiness of, of self and experience. So that's the meaning of that. As the second factor of enlightenment, uh, or as a factor of enlightenment, it is the factor of investigation. It is the ongoing application of mindfulness to your experience. Uh, You hear something and you observe your mind's reaction to it. Your mind identifies it, labels it. Uh, your mind becomes certain that that's what it is. Somebody else says, no, it's not, it's something else. And you defend that, or you know this that that's what it is. I know you can't fool me. You know? And it may be something that you like or don't like, and your mind reacts by uh, uh, attaching to it, or, uh, or experiencing aversion to it, or or maybe feeling absolutely neutral to it. But mindfulness of the dhammas is is paying attention to what's always happening, all the time anyway, until you can begin to see it for what it really is. So, the seven factors of enlightenment are to, to diligently, that's the first one, or energetically, or I like diligently, or uh, enthusiastically. First factor, like we'll, we'll, we'll translate Andrea into English as enthusiasm. Is to number one enthusiastically to investigate experience with a mind that is imbued with the qualities of uh, uh, joy, uh, uh, well, with with uh, powerful mindfulness, concentration, joy, tranquility, and equanimity. And that makes all the seven of them. So, in meditation, you develop your. Uh, concentration in your mindful awareness, power of mindful awareness. As a result of that arises joy, tranquility, and equanimity. And then these are the five that you bring to this investigation, and you you bring the diligence or enthusiasm to, to that investigation so that you reap the fruit of it. What do you think of that as an explanation? Well, that's a great answer, but um, <laughs> I was just thinking that, you know, sometimes you sit in meditation and there's a sensation, say right. there's a there's a, a, a smell that arises mm-hmm. from the kitchen or something, and your mind starts doing this little journey and you end up somewhere and you go, How do I get here? Right. And then you trace it back and you realize that the whole the whole journey was was um, initiated by the sense mm-hmm. of the smell. Okay, so is that investigation? If it is, well, that is a that that particular investigation has very limited utility. I mean, you do it a few times until you get to be absolutely clear how these things happen, and and you'll see that. Okay, you smell this and. You recognize it as curry, and that makes you think of you know something else. Maybe somebody that you know that uses a lot of curry, and that makes you think. And you see how your mind is; it follows. It, it is just one thought triggers another. If you follow a few through a few times, though, what you'll discover is once your mind's made the first leap or the first few leaps, it's totally forgotten what you intend to be doing. Right. And it comes to the end of the thought, and it doesn't trigger another one. So what happens is it jumps to something totally unrelated, just because your mind doesn't ever want to not be examining something. You know? And so it looks around for something that's interesting, uh, some other related thought. But once you realize that, once you recognize this pattern of behavior of your mind, well, you might observe this a little more and observe it in your daily life enough to understand why your mind does that and what purpose it serves. You know, that this is the ordinary way that our minds function. that uh, and, and it serves the purpose of, you know, Um, keeping all of the different threads of our life tied together, because uh, one thing's related to another, and uh, you know, how many times have you remembered that you were supposed to do something because you started thinking about something totally different, but it led to a connection and to another connection, and all of a sudden you remember this thing that you're supposed to be doing. Right? This is going on all the time, and we function uh, really well because uh, our, our, all the different things in our lives tend to be connected together and integrated, and so we're able to, you know, sort of keep our lives on on track more or less. And the other thing that the mind does is, whenever whatever you're paying attention to ceases to be particularly important anymore, it looks around for something else important. Mm-hmm. And it may check into a whole bunch of different things, but as soon as it finds one that seems to be important or attractive or interesting, it belongs onto that and it'll stay there for a little while. And then of course that might lead to you might have another period of mind wandering okay. So investigation means looking at all of the different kinds of things that happen. Enough to get an understanding of them. Once you feel like, you know, well I kind of see What's happening there? Then uh, it's it's not to be continued. Otherwise, you see, you'd sit down to meditate, you realize your mind had wandered, so you'd sit there and you'd spend the next few minutes working your way back to how this all happened, you know. And then you start to meditate again. Well, more likely what would happen is that uh, in the process of working your way backwards. In mind to take you off another little side trip, you know. But you'd spend your whole time meditating, just retracing these meaningless little meanders that your mind has taken. So you want to investigate everything that happens, but only to the extent that uh, you feel like you've learned what it has to teach you. Maybe on some other occasion, maybe in the future, there'll be more for it to teach you. And so you always want to be open to that possibility. But the investigation of phenomena, of of, of mental objects, uh, is not implying that you need to constantly do the same kind of investigation over and over again. What's most important about the investigation of uh, phenomena is to get yourself to the place where you're doing the investigation pretty well as things are happening, as they're arising. You know? So that you smell something and you see the thought arise, but you still have you have that larger awareness, that meta awareness, that <clears throat> higher consciousness that sees that your mind is reacting in the way that it ordinarily does, by generating a kind of thought and you recognize that the mind could grab onto that thought and go on a journey. But if you're really present, you just see that, aha, that's what's happening, and you move on to what's happen- on to the next thing that's happening in the present, rather than this journey which is not in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Is that a practice that you continue when you're not meditating? As a matter of fact, that's the most important time to do it after you've got some skill doing it when you're meditating, is to start start doing it the rest of the time. Yeah. Because there's so much more to observe in your daily life. And, of course, it's in your daily life that the most deeply conditioned reactions that you have are taking place. You know, sitting on the cushion with your eyes closed is a pretty bland environment. It's when, you know, somebody steps on your mental toes by something <laughs> they said or you know, all, all these other kinds of things that happen. That, because it seems you're... to me that the quieter I become in my meditation, the more I'm aware when I'm not in meditation of all these things that are triggering. Absolutely right. I mean yeah. lots of it. That is absolutely right. And that quietness that allows you to see more is very, very important. <clears throat> to repeat the same old thing you always hear me say, your mind is not one thing, it's many things, doing many different things at the same time, of which the part you your conscious is just the tiniest little tip of the iceberg. The more scattered your mind is, the harder it is for you to be particularly aware of anything. Right? Uh, in meditation, what you're doing is you are gathering together. And this is, this is actually the literal translation of the word samadhi that we translate as concentration. It means gathering together. And so you're gathering together these very disparate elements of your mind Training them to function more cohesively and cooperatively, and to the degree that you succeed in doing that for forty-five minutes or an hour, then when you go out in the world, that's going to keep happening, and you're going to have much clearer perception as a result of it. And so that that is one of the very real benefits of it. Very very crucial benefits of it. Sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes uncomfortable. Good. What's that? But good. Yes, in, in, what, in what way you, you say sometimes uncomfortable? I'm thinking, oh, I can't believe I had that thought. I oh, yeah. Really I can't right. believe I can't mm-hmm. connect with that person. I can't mm-hmm. believe it. Yeah. Right. That type of thing. Well, that's, that's really good, because you see, First, you have the clarity to start noticing these things as they happen. But then also, you have been cultivating the mindful awareness, and being really mindful involves remembering, not re- remembering to remain the non-judgmental. And that's very important. The non-judgmental, mindful observer of what is going on in the present moment. And this is very different than what we usually do. And you see, when we notice that we're doing something, the usual reaction, if it's something that, you know, you, you say, I can't believe I'm doing that, is that the mind will immediately get away from that. That is uncomfortable. right? To be mindful means to stay with it. Instead that's of the uncomfortable part for me right now with it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that but the, that's the thing and, and it but part of it is recognizing that ah, if I'm uncomfortable, it means that, you know, I'm identifying with it. I'm I'm judging it, and of course we do. You know, I can't believe I said that. That's a judgment of ourselves. And that's a judgment that may be grounded in a whole lot of really good things. That was a terrible thing for me to say and do. But the practice of mindfulness is not about that judgment; it's about setting aside the judgment long enough to really see what's going on. you know not just that I can't believe I did that, but you know what exactly did I do, and what caused me to do that, and what result is it producing that the The way that uh I think the best way to describe it is that, you know, you have this light of consciousness that reveals things to those non-conscious parts of your mind that are really making everything happen, and they're mostly making things happen uh, based on old programs and conditioning, and and a kind of assumption that this is for your ultimate good, even though it's not. The only way those parts of your mind that are, are ever going to see what's really happening is if you keep that pure light of conscious awareness shining on the events as they unfold, then the feedback is going to get to the other parts of, of the mind. And that will help us to, uh, not, not through forcing ourselves, but through the natural, deep acquisition of, of a, a kind of wisdom and understanding to change the way we react. I find... That sometimes I have very angry thoughts or vindictive yeah. thoughts, or, or um, it, it, and and when I realize that that that's where I am, mm-hmm. I kind of apologize for that in my head, and and I and I and I try to let go of that. Mm-hmm. It, and what I'm hearing you say is, rather than to do that with it, I could focus on staying with the anger and understanding the genesis of that? Well, I don't mean instead of, because what you're saying is, if you find yourself becoming angry, if you can consciously recognize that, wow, this is not doing me any good, this is not serving me. Or anyone. Or anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah, This isn't serving me or anyone else, and let let that realization uh, be there. To what I'm saying is is not particularly effective. Is where we reflexively and automatically uh, condemn ourselves. Like, (coughs) oh no, I did it again. Because that doesn't help at all. As soon as as soon as your conscious awareness turns around and, and hammers something like that, the cause of it doesn't stay out there to see what's happening. It goes and hides. So that's why, you know, if you want, if you want the part of your mind that believes the best way for you to react to a situation is to become angry, to Acquire the wisdom that recognizes that that's in fact not a good thing to do at all uh, is is not to drive it back into the unconscious realm Mm -hmm. but rather to to keep it there but while it's there you can certainly speak to it, you can certainly say wow, this sure isn't doing me any good this is not doing this other person any good this is not serving me Uh, you can you can make a kind of resolve to yourself that, that you know, I I really intend to get past reacting in this way. Mm-hmm. But without any sort of condemnation, I mean, you know, the anger arises. And you can't help that. And sometimes you... Act out of the anger, and uh, if you are, if you have awareness in the moment, and you still act out of the anger, then accept, face it—you can't help that either. And there's no point in condemning. That is, that is, an unchange, unchangeable present phenomenon that is due to an unchangeable fact past. The only thing that you can impact is what happens in the future, mm-hmm. by recognizing that. Oh no! Here I am doing it again, and this really isn't helping. Mm-hmm. Anger at the self is still anger. Anger is what? Anger at the self That's is exactly still right. anger. Anger at the self is still it's anger. It's not love. That's right. Or understanding. That's right, and and it's going to be relatively ineffective. You know, mm-hmm. right. uh, one member of your your uh, crew there believes that turning on the anger switch is doing something good for you. And if you turn on that group member, they're just going to go hide. They're not going to pay attention to what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing when you reflect on it later on. You know, uh, you're not aware in the moment, but you become aware of it sometimes afterwards. But if you condemn yourself and blame yourself, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. You know, it's, what you need to do is to approach it in, in a really objective way. Aha! Anger, you know, and and, and the the, uh, the subtext is that uh, it's due to past causes and conditions. But anger arose in me, and, and anger led to me behaving in this way, and then shine the full light of your conscious awareness of, okay, what 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 triggered that, you know, not the justification for it. Well, of course, I got angry because he said something, but you know. Well, what was the real trigger? It, 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 did it, you know, did it uh, offend my sense of who I am? Or <laughs> I get angry when I get scared. Most people do. Yeah. On some level, yeah, I, I, right. there's a fear yeah, beneath need. Right. Every time I get angry. Uh, yes, that's... Uh, yeah. Fear leads to anger. You know... Uh, Yoda told uh, young Skywalker this after he came back, you know, and his mother had been murdered. I don't remember exact one, but I'm sure Adam or someone does. But, you know, part of it was that, that uh, you know, this sequence of the way fear leads to anger, leads to hatred, and, and you'll find yourself living on the dark side if you let them take over. Yeah. Can you say something about um, afflictive emotions like anger or jealousy or something, and then the ability to look at that as energy and try to clearly work with it instead of like, oh well. I mean, I obviously know it's not good to have an afflictive emotion. I know. Mm -hmm. I obviously feel. um, But what do you do when all that stuff is there? Feel all that immediately, like it's my fault. It's my problem that I'm having it, not my fault, but even if it's directed at somebody else. But how to like look at that stuff and use it. Yeah. Well, that's energy, you know, because what what your your mind and your body are so closely interconnected that when you have that kind of thought or emotion. Your body immediately becomes prepared to to act, you know, to to fight or to flee or, or whatever is appropriate under the circumstances. You're feeling anger or fear or whatever it is. And so there's a tremendous flood of energy that goes through your body, some of it neural and some of it chemical hormones and everything else. Yeah, and there you are. What do I do with all of this stuff? And you do really, you know, you, you, you want to do something with that. Well, the most important thing is that if you can uh, stop the flow of it, you know. So to the, to the extent that you can not have the kinds of thoughts that keep it going, that's going to be an obvious Thing to do. And then once you've succeeded, you've got this energy in your body. What can you do? Well, watching your body is the total opposite to acting. And uh, so this should give you some handle on what to do with this energy. You might be able to find all kinds of good ways to use this energy, or you might be able to just calm yourself down and let the energy itself subside. But It's going to be there. You just got to accept it. You know, when when the emotions are triggered, and when the hormones are released, and when the nerves fire, you know, and when that surge of, you know, the way I picture it when those emotions arise, that there's just this, this energy just flows out from the emotional centers of your brain all over the rest of your brain, and you just, you know, you're just in that energized state. So it has to stop generating itself, and then that energy has to find some sort of productive channel to go through. Uh, of course, one of the worst things is, is that you just hold it in, bottle it in, and it turns into uh, uh, negative effects that it has on your body. Far better to uh, release it through some kind of physical activity Isn't that so? That energy has two sides. When, when, for example, anger. When you look at anger and you investigate it and you stay with that, it can change in propelling you into action to something which is beneficial. That and is you, right. Right. So it yeah. has those two sides. You can get stuck with it, or you can move it, and it turns around. And then even energy is a positive force. That that is true, <laughs> and that is, uh, you know, that is a very skillful way. To practice is that when you recognize that unwholesome states of mind are arising. And of course, this takes some practice, and you've got to be, uh, you've got to have already uh, developed a fair bit of, of, of mindfulness and have some practice experience behind you. But if you can, when you find yourself, when you find your mind energized with anger, if you can take that anger. And uh, not just let go of it, but take the energy that is given you and try to turn it towards mm-hmm. compassion and understanding. If you can see yourself in the other person that's made you angry, and if you can, uh, you know, usually when you get angry, they, they hurt you in some way, but if you can understand where that comes from, if you can recognize that, it, that in fact it's coming from their suffering, uh, it's coming from their suffering, their confusion, their delusion, you know, and you might find a place in that for compassion and understanding rather than reacting in turn with your, with your own anger. And so then you can transform an unwholesome mental state into a wholesome mental state. And that's a really good thing to practice all the time. Practice it when it's easy, especially. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't choose the things that really push your buttons and try to you know to uh, make that your starting point. You start with the little annoyances, you know, the, the, the little things that happen all the time that create some irritation if you don't do something about it then it creates more and leads from one thing to another. So you can if you just recognize when it's happening that well, okay, I can hang on to I can let this I can let this irritability and impatience hang around in my mind and have an impact on the next thing that somebody says to me or the next thing that happens and end up Ruining my whole day after a couple of hours. Or I can take it right now and I just accept that, well, yeah, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Let go of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe even better, find some really positive thing. Some annoying thing happens to you. You know, why did somebody put this here? But you know, well, what can I do to save somebody else's frustration? That's a really positive kind of reaction. We started out talking about, for those of you who came in after, very good question from Deborah about um, the uh, investigation of dhammas. And so that's, that's. how we led to this. And this is, as you can see, this is all about investigation of dogmas, right? Uh, but we've added to it here that after we've investigated them, the most recent thing, thing we added is that after we've investigated them and when the energy that is there, mental or physical, we can choose to do something with that. And we can also choose something to do very positive with it if we want to. so, And we should.